Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who wears a fluffy wig, Palmer. How are you today? I am tired and I want to go to bed. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I have been singing that song <laughs> for a week. Good. Also because I've been tired and I want to go, to, go bed, to bed. But it kind of wakes me up because it's got a good rhythm to it. <laughs> and so I'm a little Roy Schneider where he's like, he just like starts banging on the table. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, we're here to talk about 1976 best Oscar nominated films. They are best picture nominated films, I should say. They are as follows. Jaws, Barry Lyndon, Nashville, Dog Day Afternoon, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Palmer, what do you think won Best Picture? That would be Jaws. Uh, that is incorrect. Oh. What is Jaws? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big shark, but no, that is incorrect. Celebrity Jeopardy, man. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I got what you were doing. Good. I'm just tired. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, it's uh, is it One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? One Flew of the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest did indeed win Best Picture. We are not going to talk about One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest at all. Why did I watch the movie? Because I love to torture you. Mm, I that was Nashville. <laughs> that was we can talk about Nashville first if you want. Sure, yeah. it's a movie that doesn't have a script. The end. It is a movie that doesn't have a script. The end. I mean it. Did ha- it did have a script. No, it, it really didn't. It's one of my fun facts. It's... We'll get back to it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Because, well, anyway, Nashville is directed by Robert Altman, written by Joan Tewksbury. Written st- in quotes. Quote, unquote. Um, starring Keith Carradine, Karen Black, Ronnie Blakely, Shelley Duvall, David Arkin, Ned Beatty, Barbara Baxley, and a whole slew of other people. It is about a bunch of different people and their interconnected stories revolving around a political invention and there's like secrets and lies and stuff that happens uh it was that's what this movie was about that's what it was about <laughs> um oh lily Tomlin's in this movie too anyway so this movie was nominated well this movie a uh, one best music for original song i'm easy and then it was nominated for best picture a supporting role for ronnie blakely Supporting role for Lily Tomlin and Best Director for Robert Altman. I think I covered all the categories I usually cover. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm doing this differently. So, okay. Hot take, I dislike Robert Altman. I knew this about you. And here's why. Tell me more. If you want to, if you want to watch a Robert Altman movie, you don't have to. All you have to do... You don't have to... <laughs> All you have to do is go someplace, like a concert, mm-hmm. a ball game, someplace where there's lots of people waiting for something to start. And before it starts, just hear the cacophony of voices. Mm-hmm. And that is a Robert Altman movie. You no, know, you're not wrong, but I will say Robert Altman directed Popeye. I would like everyone to know that before we continue. Mm. He directed Popeye. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in your mind should tell you everything you need to know about how you feel about Robert Altman. Anyway, I loathed this movie. I actually loathed it. In in a way that I 
very seldomly dislike films. That's true. I'm usually that. You're this way, but I like had a strangely visceral reaction to this movie. Right. I know you I did. Was like, I got many texts about it. Bad. Yeah. It's just not good. I had an incredibly difficult time following the quote unquote narrative right. of the film. It didn't give me a reason to care about anybody mm-hmm. at any stretch. Okay. The only person I had a remote connection to was Ned Beatty because I like Ned because Beatty. Because he's Otis. Because he's... Uh, right. Also, he's Otis the, essentially also he's the president's best friend in the Captain America. He really is. Essentially, what happens is Otis decides the only way he's going to get Otisburg is to run for president. Otisburg. Yep. yep. Oh, was that what that's that what was happening? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what was happening. And, and a year before Superman the movie came out, Otis decided the only way he was going to get Otisburg was doing and then, this. And then Shelley Duvall was like, "Um, I'm talking to somebody here, like a few times, and that was it. And I'm like, go run around a hotel, like." So that was it. That's that's literally all I have to say on okay. this movie. So now let me tell you how great this movie actually is. Oh my god. Please. This is the mirror universe where I'm gonna tell you how structurally sound this movie is, how every nuanced detail is so perfect, and I can't because it's a horrible movie. Like <laughs> whoever nominated this movie should be shot. I They're... mean it's nineteen seventy five this movie came out, so it's seventy six they're probably not around anymore. I mean, I if they're I think of the, the same people who the same people who nominated this nominated Rachel Rachel a few years later. Yeah. And they should they should no longer be allowed to nominate things ever again. Oh, Rachel Rachel. I think I actually liked Rachel Rachel more than this movie. <sighs> it's close. Rachel Rachel had a plot. Oh, it did. This and, does not. And acting yeah. and things. The the best part about this movie was the car crash. Like fifteen minutes in, and I was like, "Wow, you crashed real cars." That was it. Yep. That was the end of me. Caring. People actually flocked to that because they were passing. By. I will say that some of the music in the oh film, no, the music's bad. I mean, you have to like that style of country, you know, country western. Whatever. I don't. I don't dislike it, but I thought the songs were bad. <laughs> Look, I'm trying. I'm trying for silver lining here, but it's not even really. The silver lining is this movie eventually ends. It's not a silver lining. It's like a gray thread that you can pretend <laughs> is silver that like fell off your dad's jacket in the closet. That's right. that's the silver lining of this movie. Ah, uh, I hated it. I just and I'm done talking about it. Yeah. That was it. Tell me about your so, quote unquote fun facts. Yeah, fun facts is. Uh... All right. Each actor and actress was required to write and perform his or her own songs in the movie. That is also why they are bad. Really? Yeah. Well, all right then. The film was very much improvised by the actors and actresses who used the screenplay only as a guide. They spent a great amount of time in their character, and the movie was shot almost entirely in sequence. There is actually no script for this movie. That is why. And that shows in this movie. Yeah. Because there are times, like, stuff does not make any sense whatsoever. Mm Mm-mm. None. None. And before I do this fun fact, one of the things I did want to mention is, so at the end where she shot, Mm -hmm. now assume that was part of some plot that I missed. Yeah, I assume that actors weren't making that up that day. Right. I assume that was some sort of plot that was missed, Mm. that I missed. But here's the thing, is she gets shot, they carry her off stage, Mm -hmm. and then the next act comes out and starts singing, and everyone stays there. No, that is not what would happen. It's the 70s. <laughs> they thought it was just part the of the show. O- the o- yeah, the only answer I have for that is that it's the 70s. Yeah. 
So, faced with an impending rainstorm, which threatened to ruin the filming of Barbara Jean's assassination... Stupid rain didn't come. With, ...with no recourse as the production budget had run dry, Robert Altman repeatedly screamed at the sky, ordering the rain to stop. The rain did indeed stop, and the filming of the scene was completed. I kind of love that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a myth that's not real, <laughs> but I kind of love that. Just Robert Altman shaking his fist at the sky. I, as an old man, even though he's like probably... In his 40s here? Mm, Robert Altman. Let me see. I can tell you. Robert Altman Died in the early born, 2000s or the late 90s? He, he, was, he died in 2006 yep. at the age of 81. He was born in 25. This movie was made in 75, so he was 50. Yeah. Yeah. He's not an old man. So he's still got plenty of life left in him yeah, at true. that point. Okay. Well, he did. He had literally 30 years of life left <laughs> in him. You know. Like 40 no, 30, yeah. Yeah, no, I carry the one, adjust for pie. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay. All Next right. movie. Next movie, Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet, written by... I believe it's Lummet. Lummet. I think it's Lumet. <laughs> British <laughs> Lumiere. Sidney Lumiere. <laughs> he wants you to be his guest at the bank. <laughs> um, written by Frank Pearson, P.F. Um, well, written by Frank Pearson... Based on the magazine article by P.F. Kluge and Thomas Moore and the book by Leslie Waller, this is the um, the story of a man who robs a bank to pay for his lover's operation. And it kind of turns into a hostage situation in media circus and the bank people are like, no, we love him. It's it's a little, um, uh, what do you call it? Stockholm Syndrome. True the second st- episode that we've used is Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, and it's a true story. Yes. yes, yes, it is. And it's a true story. It stars Al Pacino, John Cazale, Penelope Allen, Sully Boyer, and a few other people. Carol Kane is in this movie, which is kind of fun because yep. I love Carol Kane. Uh, Chris Sarandon. Chris Sarandon, that's right, is also in this movie. Um, unrecognizable Chris Sarandon. I did because I, I believe he plays the lover, yeah. He plays the lover. Um, no, who's also in this movie is um, John. John Marriott, who I'm thinking of. No. Oh, my goodness. Who, who is the guy in... Fredo. <laughs> That's the Fredo. I'm smart. It's not Fredo. No, Fredo's the other bank robber. Yeah, no, I know that. But uh, This is why that doesn't succeed. Never rob a bank with Fredo. Isn't Scatman Crothers in this movie? Is that nope, the... nope. That's uh, that, that, that's uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, that's what it was. Because I thought it was hilarious that he and Jack Nicholson were in the same movie. That's right. But Jack right. Nicholson is not. In this He's movie. not in this movie. I told you, I'm tired. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. That's my fun fact for one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> my fun fact for Dog Day Afternoon: Jack Nicholson and Scatman Crothers are not in this movie. <laughs> anyway, this movie won Best Original Screenplay. Um. Weird that it's based off something and still an Fun original fact, though, uh, Gore Vidal accepted his, the award on his behalf. Nice. Because he was the presenter. Anyway, uh, nominated for Best Picture, uh, Al Pacino for Actor in a Leading Role, Chris Sarandon for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Director for Sidney LeMay, and Best Film Editing for Dee Dee Allen. Okay. Uh, it's got a good pace to it. I I can understand... I can understand the... You know what? I, I, I can understand the the editing nomination. I like I like you say that it has a good pace. 
the first half of this movie, I think, has a really good pace. And then it drags like right. you wouldn't believe. Yeah. However, I think it's on purpose. That's I I because I couldn't figure it out at first. I was like, why is this movie so breakneck and then just slows to crawl? No, why? Because they're still in the bank. Like you feel the passage of time. Yes. With the prisoners. Right. You just, you're like in it with them. Yeah. It doesn't become uninteresting. No. And I don't want my critique of of it to sound that way. Mm. It doesn't really become un- uninteresting. It becomes a little less interesting. Yep. I agree. But but, but as the people in the, the hostages in the bank are also less interested, you too are also less interested. Right. So like you're captive with them. It's yeah. kind of smart. It, it's smart that way. It's also at a time. This is this is go back to everything. It's the seventies. It's pre Star Wars. Now Star Wars for a lot, changed a lot of things in films, the special effects and the blah blah blah. People overlook the editing of Star Wars mm-hmm. as something that changed cinema because George Lucas fired his original editor because he was editing in a seventies style, which is. Long cuts, mm-hmm. slow pace. That was just, that's just a style. And he and he had his wife edit instead, and because she listened to him, you know, like mm-hmm. and he was like, "I want it like this," and she's like, "I also want it like this." Let's do this together. And Marsha Brady, no, not Brady, uh, Marsha something, Lucas, <laughs> Marsha Lucas, <laughs> and um, and that's why Star Wars, if especially if you watch that opening, like Stormtrooper raid, mm-hmm. uh. It's very quick. It's a lot of quick cuts for, especially for a 70s movie. Yeah. So it still plays kind of like uh, like a, you would see a modern film uh, a little bit now uh, until you get to Tatooine and it just whoop, drags <laughs> also on purpose. But but Dog Day Afternoon it exists pre that yeah. revolution of editing almost where you're like, oh my God, we could, we could do fast things. Yeah. It's... It totally different. We're sitting in a totally different era now because we're past. We're past Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So my point with yours, I enjoyed this movie. I did too. I really liked the dynamic of the hostage negotiator and Al Pacino. Yep, I thought they worked really well off each other. Mm-hmm. Their dynamic was very interesting. Uh, any scenes that they had together, I also liked. Like, Al Pacino's good in this movie, and he's not, like, crazy old Al Pacino. No, that's what I loved. I was like, wow, you, like, you're a character. Right. I forgot that you're not just Al Pacino. Right. You're so, not just, like, the, the devil and the devil's advocate. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I like how the the hostages, while they don't get a ton of stuff to do, you still see personalities and characteristics like the bank manager having uh, yeah. diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, the the older bank teller like being really religious, and mm-hmm. you know, where the lady who like even goes outside and she's like, "What are you doing with him? Like, we got to come back inside. Like, these are my girls. I'm staying." Right? You know, like that's. I don't remember their names because the film is not interested in their names right. in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's not really interested in Al Pacino was his name, but it's like, okay, it's Sonny. Right. And that's it. But yeah, I I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would because like bank heist robbery thing, I'm just like, eh, they're not wearing. Right. Know, just, and I th- I think ultimately the only thing I dislike 
is the same thing I kind of dislike in all these kinds of movies where they're they're trying to get you to root for the person who's breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me. Right. Um, I like. I don't want to see them get away. I want to see them get their comeuppance, and they do. Well, yeah, because true story. But it's it feels. But like I don't know if that's how the true story ended. Like I don't know. I don't. Like, it, it exists. It this exists in that true story mode of like I know it's a true story, but, but I, don't I don't know, know what's what true. The true what's story not. Right. is so I'm just going to enjoy the movie for what the movie is. Right. Because this is an instance where enough time has passed, no one's around to tell me that this was done differently. Which I mean. I mean, people are definitely around to tell you this differently. It happened in the seventies. No, we don't know that. We definitely know that it happened in like nineteen seventy-two. It tells you right on the screen. Yeah, August twenty-second, nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, it was a dog day afternoon. It was a dog day afternoon. Now I know where that term comes from. This is not where it comes from. <laughs> Probably not. No, I've never bothered to look it up. No, nobody has. Nobody has. Anyway, that is dog day afternoon. It's. It's a, it's enjoyable. Absolutely. It's it's, a, it's a, one of those films where I say like, oh, you were nominated for you're nominated for best picture, huh? Like this is this is the choice that was made, <laughs> not in a bad way, but you're like, but these the, these <laughs> you were, were your nominated choices. for best picture, huh? Well, this is the seventies, so there are plenty of bad movies out there. Good job getting this one. Yeah. The, the, this okay. Is, these were your choices, huh? Yeah. All right. Great. Um, let's move on to Barry Lyndon. No, let's move on to fun facts. Oh, sorry. We cannot skip over the most anticipated portion of the podcast. Yes, of course. Film debut of Chris Sarandon. Really? Yep. And he was nominated. And he was nominated. Why doesn't he do more things now? Because now he's just, uh, Jack Skellington. Now What's just, this? What's this? this? He's also just Elfman, Prince Humperdinck. Except that Danny Elfman sang the part. Yeah, but he was Jack Skellington. Yeah, but Danny, but I know, but you started singing, but that right. would have been Danny. Because Elfman. I'm, look, if I'm going to do something from Nightmare Before Christmas, I'm going to do a singing part. Me just starting a soliloquy is not going to make anybody remember it. Yeah. What's up, Bone Daddy? Right. You yeah. know, and that's not even him either. I know. He's like, oh, nothing. <laughs> that was it. That's my right. Chris, that's yep. my Chris Sarandon for the evening. So, Penelope. Penelope Allen, who plays the blonde chief bank teller, was a surrogate mother to These Al Pacino. Are my girls. Oh, really? Yep. When she when he first left home in his teens to pursue acting, he lived with Allen and her husband for several years. Wow. And then one of my favorite fun facts: the bar across the street from the bank is clearly seen as Moe's Tavern. <gasps> I did not notice that. Hank Azaria, who voices Moe on The Simpsons has stated that the inspiration for Moe's voice was Sonny. Really? Yeah. That's fun. I wish I knew that before I watched the film. Like, now I want to go back and kind of listen for it. <laughs> listen, you know, skis bags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love uh, that. Yep. I love that. Anyway, let's move on to what is considered Stanley Kubrick's most pretty film. His most beautiful film. It really was. It's very pretty. Oh, I wouldn't so call pretty. it as pretty as though. Mm. I'll get I'll, I'll get there. I'll get okay. there. Uh, Barry Lyndon, uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick, obviously. Written for the screen by Stanley Kubrick, based on the novel by Stanley William Kubrick. Makepeace Thackeray. Oh. What? I said Stanley Kubrick. Oh. Oh, so. Based on the novel by Stanley Kubrick. Well, it's Kubrick, so it right. wouldn't shock me if he was just an immortal Thackeray. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, this movie won Best Cinematography. Um, John Alcott, who also um, did uh, other stuff. He, he did do other things, didn't he? What a guy. Yeah. Um, no, he he was the uh, cinematographer on The Shining and... I, 2001 A Space Odyssey. He was the electrical crew and, st- uh, and, ca- and additional photography, but I don't think he was actually the cinematographer. Oh. On 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I am correct. I'm looking it up. But he was the cinematographer for Clockwork Orange. Break Into Electric Boogaloo? Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Uh, no, his last film was No Way Out, 1987. No Way Out. No Way Out. No Way Out. Anyway, Best Cinematography yep. for John Alcott. Best Art Direction slash Set Decoration. Best Costume Design. Best Music. And it was nominated... Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. So this it did not won win Best Music. So so it won all the awards from other people. The three things that Stanley Kubrick did, it didn't win for. Yeah, Best Picture because he produced it, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, those are all the Stanley Kubrick things. They're like, no, nope, sorry, Kubrick, I we don't, don't want to give you awards. Yeah, I don't think he's he never, wins he's an never award. Won. Yeah, he's never won. He's like Alfred Hitchcock. He's never won. Alfred Hitchcock won a honorary award. That is not the same. Well, I mean, in some ways it's better because they're like, all of your work is genius. Right. Here's an honorary award. But it's also like, we forgot about you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think Sidney Poitier never won, right? But he got yeah, an he honorary did. award. No, he won. So then what did he... Get? He also got a Lifetime Achievement Award. That's it. Okay. Yeah, that's different. That was like the last time they gave it. Uh, City Point. Yeah, it was the last time they yeah. gave it. But that was also when uh, Denzel Washington won for Training Day, and then Halle yes. Berry won for Monster's Ball. Monster's Ball. That was quite a year, wasn't it? Mm, We're coming up on some would year. say no. Me especially. You don't like Monster's Ball? I hate Monster's Ball. I, I am not, not looking forward to that one. I have not seen it in so long. Spoiler, it's bad. I don't remember liking Training Day. Uh, Training Day's good, but overrated. Interesting. Anyway, let's talk about Barry Lyndon. It, no, Barry we'll talk Lyndon, about Barry Lyndon when we do Training Lyndon Day. Barry Lyndon starring Ryan O'Neill and Marissa Brennanson and Patrick McGee and a, a whole bunch of other people. But it's really Ryan O'Neill that matters. And uh, it is about an Irish rogue, I guess. Rouge. Who, he's an Irish rouge. Um and so it's kind of his rise through aristocratic 18th century England. Okay. That's the very long yeah. and short of it. And his he's kind of it's like it's a coming it's definitely a coming of age story. It's like I'm a wimp and then by the end I'm a different kind of wimp. <laughs> I'm still a wimp. I'm, I mean, he's I'm not a really a wimp. wimp. Kind of is. Like the first half hour of this movie, he's in like 13 duels. Yes, but he doesn't want to be in any of them. Except all the ones he wants to be in. Right. Because, I mean, he wants to be in the first one. He definitely wants to be in the next one because he's going after his cousin. I thought this movie was going to be funny because the like intro with that. Well, they, like, I should know better because it's Kubrick. But the the intro when he's like when they were like, oh, you know, he died in a duel because he was going after the girl, whatever. And he just like it's a wide shot. And in the distance, a guy just like gets shot and goes, ah, it falls down. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And the rest of the movie is not funny. Uh, it's, yeah. So but that bit is great. So the only problem with some of the duels mm-hmm. is that they're too early in the film 
to really ever give you it's any just, sort of danger. Like, it's like going to see Hamilton. Like, you know Hamilton's not going to die in the duel. It's his name on the... It's his name in the... Um, except that In the you, play. Except that you, And so you know... If, no, Barry Lyndon's not going to die. That's, that's a terrible analogy. No, it's a great analogy. No, it's not because because in the opening song of Hamilton, you're told that he dies. No, I don't know. I've yeah, never seen it. I have. Like, I just assume he lives in the duel. He doesn't. No? No. Huh. No. You are told in the opening song that he dies and who killed him. Well, then why the hell am I watching it? It's the why do you you know Forrest Gump's going to make the bus? Why do you watch that? Like I don't because know. I have to because you have to you were going to have to soon actually. right that's next year actually yeah yeah but no um, <laughs> it's about the journey to get to that place it's the same it's the same like what are they going to do to get to that moment I that's, suppose that's but like a good good storytelling like really good storytelling makes you forget that makes you forget that they told you something at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like my example of this is Dark Knight Rises because it didn't do it well at all. Is like every year I went to France. I went to Italy and had a Frony Branca at this one place I've never said the name of before and I waited for you and you know I just hoped that you would have a good life and then I'll see you and then at the end of the film I'm going to see you there even though everyone thinks you're dead. Right, because he read Alfred's diary. Right, no, or Alfred just tells him. No, but I'm saying it that bit doesn't it it that bit doesn't do it well because that scene is it's like it's supposed to be foreshadowing but it's so heavy-handed in that moment that you're like oh okay so he's he, that's where he's going to be at the end of the film well yeah yeah i get it but um but if if so much happens in the mix and bear linden actually is kind of like that because i forgot that he dies like have you seen the movie before? I had not seen Barry Lyndon before. So then you don't remember. So you couldn't forget that he dies because you didn't know. No, but he, we're told at the beginning that he dies. It's part of the opening narration. No, I thought the opening narration was the other guy. Oh, I always I took that as no Barry Lyndon dies. No. Oh, well, well, then I just misread all of that. But yeah. I mean, I guess he did die because he's a human. We all die, so. But he does die in a, no, he doesn't even die in a duel. No, he doesn't. So you're, I don't know what you're watching. It was a long movie. I, I'm i a big Kubrick fan. I, I Kubrick is a genius. He is. It, he's actual film genius. I didn't love Barry Lyndon. So I had asked you, uh, I sent you a text, and I don't think I ever answered you because... You refused to answer me that night. And if you sent it to me past eleven, I was probably asleep. I don't think you were. Okay. You were just ignoring me. I don't think that's so. Fair. I never ignore you except when I'm driving because yeah. I'm a good driver. So I had said I had asked you what's the difference between Stanley Kubrick and Robert Altman. No, you did. I thought it was a joke. You answered the question. What did I answer with? I don't remember. We talked too much. It wasn't a joke. I thought it was a joke. Yeah, you said Stanley. No, I, re- I didn't ignore you. I remember this now. <laughs> it's like, does a bear poop in the woods? Like, that's like, <laughs> it's just like the answer. Um, a, a Stan- nothing can happen in a Stanley Kubrick movie, but you, but he makes you care. Right. Where nothing happens in a Robert Altman movie, and you don't give a crap. Right. Barry Lyndon and Nashville are not so dissimilar that they are two long movies. Not so dissimilar. Double negative. That's tricky. 
Yeah. Yeah, they You're are welcome. similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So they're two long movies. Yeah. Now, I would argue that Nashville is just not a movie because it's not written. It's all improv. That doesn't mean that it's not a movie, though. No, I That's, but I understand but what you mean. Still. It's not a good movie, is what you're saying. Barry Lyndon at least has a narrative. Yeah, it's it's not hard to follow. No, but it's in the hands of a lesser person, that movie can be boring. I agree. That movie would be a complete drag if Kubrick didn't work his Kubrick magic right. and make you watch Ryan O'Neill like your life depended on it. Yes. Literally like your life depended on it. Like I sat there going, I don't like the story of this. It is dry. It is long. It's very plotty. But yet I like looking like this movie. I just love looking at. Right. Well, I, I don't know if this is one of your fun facts or not, but Probably. I knew this about so that the the evening scenes, the, the nighttime scenes that was were only lit by the candles on camera. Correct. Which is, I think, I want to say 2019's The Favorite also did that. But I, but But, I mean, obviously. But there's also a misnomer, like no, like no unnatural light was used. They did use it, but not, but those scenes were all candlelight. There's actually, and this is how great Stanley Kubrick is visually. There's a scene that I love for no other reason and this, I'll tell you the scene, is right around after, like, just after he deserts the British Army, mm-hmm. and he's on his horse riding through the countryside. Mm-hmm. One of the parts, nothing happens, except a cloud goes by the sun. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, And I love it, because in any other movie, they reshoot that, because you gotta keep the same light, you gotta keep the consistency. Mm-hmm. I love the fact, like, that world felt real to me. Because something like that happens. You saw the passage of time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the movie feels more real to me because of that than a lot of other movies. Yep. And that is part of the genius of Kubrick. Uh-huh. I, I do not... I do not... I mean, this movie... In some ways, earns its cinematography award. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think mostly it earns its cinematography award. There's parts that I say it doesn't, and I have good reason for it later. But I think I think most Kubrick films earn their cinematography award, like right. truly, regardless of who his cinematographer is. Like Kubrick works the camera. Two, you know what I mean. Some directors yeah. are actors, directors, and they let their cinematographer do their thing. Some of them are the center, like in terms of like say like Alfonso Cuarón, he usually is his cinematographer, right. you know. Like, but Kubrick, Kubrick has got to be the hardest man in the would have been the hardest man in the world to work for, yes. because he demanded nothing but perfection, but only gave perfection at the same time, right? So, like you said. In a, the hands of a lesser person, Barry Lyndon would be the worst film I'd ever seen. Yeah. But you care. Be, not because you like Kubrick or dislike Kubrick or whatever, but because the camera makes you care mm-hmm. about what's happening on screen in front of everybody. I think it's draggy, as a yes, lot of Kubrick films draggy. are. The only Kubrick film that I don't think drags is The Shining. It's pretty brisk. In terms, in terms of Kubrick films. Yeah. It's a pretty brisk film. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, um, 
But they, they, people say Barry Lyndon is his most beautiful film. I disagree. I think 2001 A Space Odyssey is... I think his most beautiful film is Eyes Wide Shut because it has Lily Sobieski. Wow, what happened to her? I haven't mm. seen her in anything in a while. I don't know. Time. She was also, like, actual part of a royal family, so... What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, I should give her a call later, you know, to see how the royals are doing. Right. Right. Royals. Right. Um, so, as you say, uh, Kubrick's a perfectionist. And that is that is very true. And he's very famously for, like, making people reshoot and reshoot and reshoot mm-hmm. and reshoot. Um, and because he's such a perfectionist, um, he he uh, he initially came up with the idea to do the movie AI. Right. And Steven Spielberg ends up directing it because Kubrick passes away. But Kubrick, towards the end, wanted Spielberg to direct it. Like he said, if the, I, did, I did not know that. Yeah, he like he if he told Spielberg to direct it. It's you know why Kubrick didn't different. direct it beforehand? Why? Because he was waiting for the day that robots could play themselves. Well, he still would be waiting. Yes. But but that's how much perfectionist he is. My God, I'll just I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll just wait for the robots to uprise. But 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 sir, you won't be that. You'll be dead. He's like, I will come back from the grave. Yep. I will also be a robot. I am Kubrick. <laughs> if we talk about Disney freezing himself. It's Kubrick. We should have been looking out for this whole time. Anyway, do you have fun facts about Barry Lyndon? Or did I don't I, know. Did I say my? Did I say my only? Did I say your Did you fact? only fun fact? I mean, it's a Kubrick film, so fun is generally no. Not there's the word actually there's actually some pretty good facts. Um, How so, many times did he make so and so? Yeah, exactly. Scene? Yeah, which I honestly I didn't do, but I wanted to in any event. Mm-hmm. Many of the shots were composed and filmed in order to invoke certain 18th century paintings, especially those by mm-hmm. Thomas Gainsborough. Mm-hmm. I could. I wouldn't necessarily say, like, oh, yes, I see the Gainsborough in yeah. that, but but it is certainly painting esque, but not in a not in a Ten Commandments kind of way. You know, Ten Commandments where they're just like, I'm going to pose here and I'm going to do this and I want to stand right. like this. It's not exactly like it's that. It's not Yul Brenner esque. It's not Yul Brenner esque. No, it's it's a um, it's a more subtle framing. Yeah, I think. Composition is an underrated part of filmmaking. Right. Like, where characters stand and at what length for one another and at what, like, it's its its own art form, and Kubrick has a mastery of it that many directors ignore. But anyway, continue. I mean, they don't ignore the Kubrick, the genius of Kubrick. I mean, they ignore right. doing a thing. Production was moved from Ireland to England after Stanley Kubrick received word that his name was on an IRA hit list for directing a film featuring English soldiers in Ireland. Consequently, a number of scenes were dropped. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, the 70s, so that that would be the time. Yep. Wow. Filming took 300 days over a two-year span, beginning around May or June of 1973, the production suffered two major shutdowns, resulting in what was then considered a bloated $11 million budget. <laughs> it was finally released in December of 1975. You know what's crazy about that? Is Barry That's Lyndon, just like a typical... A typical for him, but Barry Lyndon, another director, 
Two months. <laughs> two months. months. Not 300 days. Right. That is... 525,000. That is just atrocious amount of... Atrocious amount of time. Yep. When did this movie come out? 1975. In nineteen seventy in nineteen seventy five. I love inflation calculator. I love to see like I'd love to see what that's worth now. Three hundred billion dollars. Uh eleven million in nineteen seventy five is the equivalent to purchasing power of fifty one million four hundred and sixty five thousand two hundred and seventy eight dollars and eighty one cents. Well so it's under budget nowadays. It's still relatively cheap movie by today's by today's yeah, but not for the type of movie it is. No, no, the it's it's under budget for say Man of Steel. Yeah, it's under budget for an action movie. Yeah, certainly, but maybe not for a, a talky British piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think the favorite was made for like seventy eight cents. Yeah, it sure didn't look it though. What a what a pretty <laughs> film. Anyway, let's move on to our next film. That would be Jaws. That is Jaws. That's yeah, because we only have two left. So that is Jaws. Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Carl Gultieb and Peter Benchley, who also wrote the novel, which is way different than the. the yeah, it's movie. actually a comedy. I. It's weird, is what it is. No, I know. It's weird. Starring Roy Schneider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, and Lorraine Gray, among. Dorian Gray. Uh, yes, Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray, Murray Hamilton, you know, great, great cast of characters. Nominated for Best Picture, it won Best Music, Best Editing, and Best Sound. Yeah. It is, I think everyone pretty much knows what it is, but the movie is about Roy Schneider, who is the sheriff of Amity Island, which is Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Um, who is who has moved with his family from New to York to the island, and he is struggling with his identity as a non-islander. It's like he's not a water. He doesn't like the water, but he's the sheriff of an island, and he is just not really one of them. Insert Brody, who is played by Richard Dreyfus, who is also not of them, but is of the water. He is a marine biologist. And then insert the island, Quint. The, Quint, the islander himself, who is not like them. He is an outsider. He is not part of the community, but he is an islander. So therefore, he's also part of the community. And the three of them really, it's really about the three of them being these three separate aspects of, I, in some ways, a search for an identity all surrounding a, a killer a, shark. A killer shark. Yeah. So the movie is called Jaws, but the genius of Jaws is that it's not about the shark. It's about the people on the island. And I think that every... The dumb people on the island. It, oh, so dumb. But so dumb. That's a, They reelected th- that, that mayor. That mayor, multiple times. That is like <laughs> a failure of democracy. This mayor who's like, there's a there's been shark attacks. You should go out into the water. You should go into the water. And they're like, oh, but mayor. And he's like, go into the water, go damn it. In now. And then he's like... My kids were on that beach too. Takes out cigarette inside, inside <laughs> hospital. It starts smoking it. I freaking love this movie so much. <laughs> I, I mean, full disclosure, because we actually don't come across like some of our favorite films all the time in here. Jaws is in my top five favorite films consistently, regardless of how I'm feeling. And like some films shift around, Jaws is always in my top five. 
I love Jaws. I have since I was a kid, and I love it today. So I'm, like, fairly biased when it comes to Jaws. You are the most biased person I've ever seen. That's not true. Yeah. No, I think that's. I have. We have literally hours of documented audio that proves that I am not nearly as biased as you are. Oh, I don't. I am not getting into this no. conversation with you. Nope. I, I am not getting into the Somebody help me debate out. with you again, Dennis. I really am not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so, so I Jaws works because Steven Spielberg, in his earlier days when he had to experiment because things were broken you know bruce the shark was broken you know they called it bruce because <laughs> he's broken because he's no they the because uh, it's alliteration they, they called the the robot shark kept breaking that's it's right. pretty well documented and so that's why the shark's pov in the film the point of view is of the shark and you never really see the shark for a good chunk of the film because they didn't have a working shark, they like literally couldn't. So Steven Spielberg was like, "Just make the camera the shark," and which which was weird because they were going to show the shark the whole movie. Well, no, what I'm saying is, which is weird because they chose to shoot on Martha's Vineyard because it has it doesn't have as deep a depth, right? So the shark would work. And the shark was like, nah, guy. It's the same. It's literally the same exact problem that Spielberg had with the T Rex in Jurassic Park. He didn't learn his lesson. The shark worked great on land. Nobody tested it in the water before it was time to film. So, so they put the robot shark in the water, and it sunk to the bottom. They're like, oh man, that's heavy. So, and they're not heavy in a way that like they used in the term in the seventies, right? Like, so heavy. the, so the Tyrannosaurus. Also didn't work in the water? No. Or they only tested it in the water? No, it also didn't work in the water. So the T-Rex, the robot T-Rex, not the 30, sec- the 30 seconds of CG, you know, like the the robot that was built by Stan Winston Company worked in the studio and whatever else. On the day of filming, the day of filming, Steven Spielberg was like, I want the sequence to be, I, 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 want, I think we're going to have it be raining instead. Like instead of just a nighttime, it's gonna it's gonna be a storm. Well, that's on him then. This is, but so Stan Winston was like, uh, Stephen, we didn't test Can the we robot. CG the water. We didn't test this robot in the rain. We don't know what it's gonna do. So if you watch the footage of the T Rex, and there are times you can actually see the robot shuddering like it's cold, right? And it works in the film, but that's because the robot, the water, the um. Like the foam of the T Rex was absorbing the water, and it was getting into the bits, and it made the it right. made the it made the robot shudder. But that's on that's on Steven Spielberg. No, it's definitely. I'm not saying it's not on Steven. Like Spielberg. The, like with Jaws, it's not. Like they should have tested it in the water. I mean, he's the director, so it's actually kind of on him in both senses. Like <laughs> it's it's his job to be like prepare for any of my wacky ideas. Like having the shark in the water. I mean, the shark one in the water is pretty dumb. Like it's a shark. Obviously, you're going to need to film right. in the water. That bit's dumb. But anyway, no, it's actually named Bruce because there was a lawyer that, from the from the um, from the um, production company that they from the studio that right. they, they hated, and so they called the yeah. broken shark Bruce because they hated him so much. Anyway, yeah. I could talk about Jaws all day. That's not the point here. No, it is. It's literally the point of this. Not all day. Someone, Unlike other episodes the where they where you talk about Jaws, it's literally the time to talk about Jaws. Some of the day. I have Jaws film cells sitting right there. Like you do. actual film cells from yep. from the and, and, you, 
and autographs from Roy Schneider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, and then you also own a print of uh, Francesco Francavilla. That is in my classroom. Ah, uh, this is in my shot. classroom. Okay. Yeah, this is my classroom at work. Um, so no, I. I don't. Full disclosure: I don't love this movie as much as other people love this movie. Sure, I, I know a lot of people who don't like this movie. Really? Yeah. I I was in, like I don't. I don't dislike it. I think it's good. I think it's fine. It's not one of. It's not like in my top five Steven Spielberg movies. Oh, interesting. That's a whole other conversation that we should have. Top five Steven Spielberg movies. Yeah, or just or just Oscar winning directors. Right. Let's do a little thing of a jig. What okay. are your top five Steven Spielberg films? Uh, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, mm-hmm. and then I'd have to think of the other three. Jaws, Jaws, Jaws. Got it. No, Got it. definitely not Jaws, Jaws, Jaws. I'm just a triple speaker. Michael Caine in this movie was great. You watched the wrong Jaws. <laughs> I watched the best Jaws because it had Michael Caine. Spo- Jaws 4 is not as bad as no. people make it out to be. I've seen Although there's a weird, films. there's a weird TV edit. Um, there's two different versions. There's one where Michael Caine dies and one where he doesn't. Yep. That's because they was like, do we love Michael Caine this year? (laughs) Do you like this actor? Vote one for yes, two for no, (laughs) and we'll see at the end of the movie. Oh, God. No. It was Bandersnatch before Bandersnatch. Oh, yeah. The first Jaws is the best. The second one is fine. It's kind of a rehash. (laughs) But, but Jaws works not because of the shark, the, POV, it, it is the sum of its parts. I say this a lot, you know, and but I think its core group of Schneider, Shaw, and Dreyfus are the thing that makes the film really work. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like, the mayor's great, too. You know what I mean? Like, there are other things in this film that are fun. You know, the, only, the, the, the biggest problem I get in this movie, and I was when I was rewatching this, it, it stood out to me. Like, the mayor's whole thing is... Fourth of July weekend's coming. You know, we're a we're a summer dependent town. Like Island, we yeah. Right. We're a summer dependent town. We need people to come here mm-hmm. and they're not gonna come here if the beaches are closed. That's correct. And then you get to the point where he's like, It's the fourth of July, we have all these families here, we can't close the beach. No, they're already on the island. You can close the beach at that point. You already have their money. I, I do no, actually, you don't have their money. It's not like you. Ha- it's not like pay a thousand dollars to get onto the island. Have you ever tried to stay on Martha's Vineyard? It's expensive, but you can just take the ferry home. That's the thing. Like they could just get back on the boat and leave. Because right, not, but it's not. Not everybody stays there overnight. There are a lot of day trippers when it comes to visiting those islands. I've never st- – uh, my point, like, and you just said, if you were trying to stay on Martha's Vineyard, no. No, because you so lived ex- in the city that the boat came from. Sure, but but that doesn't mean that other people, like, don't, like, live in the surrounding town to, like, get to Amity to, like, go for the day. So it, it, let's say it's not Amity Island and it's Block Island off the coast of Rhode Island. It's a much, much smaller island. You don't stay there. You go for the day. That's like because like their main strip of like streets and restaurants, whatever, is literally a street with like a slight turn off where Martha's Vineyard is a whole island filled with multiple towns and all this different stuff. And rich people. Right. It's a rich people's place to go. Amity Island is filmed on Martha's Vineyard, 
but it's not Martha's Vineyard. It's Amity Island. And if those people don't stay, if they just leave and mm-hmm. they don't go to the restaurants or go shopping instead because the beach is closed or whatever, they just leave, th- those people are out of money because they, their whole economy is the it's summer a vacation. bad economy. I'm not economy saying plan. the mayor's right. I'm not defending him. I think you he, are. He's an idiot. <laughs> he's literally an idiot. People are dead already. It's not like, oh, we saw a fin in the water. People have died. Yeah. I I'm but I'm I can get his perspective as like people might die of hunger if we don't have the people possibly dying. But at least of they're the not water. being eaten. Yeah. This movie was filmed in April. So like all those people sitting on the beach and everything like that are cold. Are cold. Yep. That's why if you look at like people closely like they're wearing jackets and stuff, not on the beach and stuff, but like people are walking around the island in coats. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not listed on my fun fact, but but bonus fun fact: people at Martha's Vineyard hate this movie. Uh that is not true. They have a Jaws festival every year. Trust me when I say they hate this movie. Why? Because it brings commoners to the island. Their economy. No, it's not Martha's Vineyard's economy. But it is. To an extent. Don't forget, a lot of people that live on Martha's Vineyard are not year-round. Are rich. But but the people who live year-round are not. They rely True. on tourism. To... They rely on the rich people vacationing there. Right. So... Who will go there regardless. Because they want to be away from people. And maybe. You don't go to Martha's Vineyard in the summer to be away from people. Yeah. Just... There's a lot of people there. Just sit out in the cabin. Sure, if you're like wealthy enough to afford a cabin in the far distance, like the multimillionaires. Yeah, sure. But popular. there's a lot of people on the island that are not multimillionaires. It's a, it's like saying the entirety of Cape Cod is wealthy. That is not true. The majority of the Cape is lower to middle class. It is only certain towns in certain sections that are very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a misreading. I'm sure some people do not like it, like. There are always people who don't like movies that, like, their town is featured in. Right. You know, I'm so because it brings people they just don't care. Like, oh, my God, the tourists. Yeah. And people, I'm sure, absolutely roll their eyes when they're like, oh, God, the tourists are here. But they also know, like, the t- tourism is needed to keep the island sustained. They can't live on the island if there is no, like, if there is nothing there. Sure, they can. They're all fishermen. Mm, weird. For for growing up in a town that is l- almost a stone's throw from Martha's Vineyard, you are you have a weird misreading. I've of, been to Martha's Vineyard like once in my entire life. So, why are you speaking with authority? Because I am. It's <laughs> what I do. It is what you do. It is true. Yes. Anyway, Jaws being the sum of its parts, speaking like editing, sound, and music... Jaws is not successful without John Williams. Correct. It's just, I mean, it's some of its parts. You t- I mean, it's something, I guess, not successful without Steven Spielberg either, if you really wanted to, like, pull people out and think of it that way. But John Williams is consistently considered one of the greatest composers of all time. Not even film composers, just composers, because he's actually great. He is not an right. over, he's not an overhyped man. Correct. He delivers on, he he delivers on his talent and on his reputation. Jaws being really one of the f- first pieces that brings him into that realm. 
you know, this is pre-Star Wars, pre-Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. pre-Close Encounters. This is really... He already worked with Steven Spielberg on Sugarland Express. Right. So this is their second collaboration. But without John Williams working with Steven Spielberg, you don't get John Williams working with George Lucas. Right. Right. Um, and when uh, when John Williams won the Academy Award, he was conducting the orchestra for the Academy Awards that year. Mm-hmm. So he had to run up from like the orchestra pit to go accept the That's award. That's fantastic. I love that. That's a great fun fact. Yeah. The music of Jaws, people always think of right because that's is, the main piece. It's the main piece, but the rest of the music is great too. It's really divided into these two sections. The movie is divided itself into two sections. What people always people always think about the shark attacks, like that's the thing that sticks in people's right, minds. It's only the first half of the film. The sh- like no, the shark no, attacks the boat. It, it's I mean the shark attacking the island. I'll I'll, be, I'll rephrase my you the bits of. Not seeing the shark and, you know, like the point of view and, you know, the duh, 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 the slow. That only exists in the first half of the movie. The first half is a monster film. It's a horror film. You know, like where's the monster coming from? We don't know. You only know by the music. Mm-hmm. The music tells you when the shark's on screen. It's your heartbeat. It's a slow heartbeat. And then by the time the shark attacks the third or fourth person, it picks up the dun 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 dun, dun like right away because your heart is attuned like Pavlov's dog to like knowing that's the shark right away. Also because the shark was broken. Also because the shark was broken. But so like that scene where like the kids have the fin on their back and they're like, they're like, oh, it's, you know, and they have like, all the guns pointed to them. Yeah, it's hilarious. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised those weren't changed the flashlights. <laughs> just like CGI'd out. Right. Just like put it back like in. Like in E.T. Yeah. <sighs> just whatever. Um, but the, um, uh, there's no shark music in that moment. So, like, John Williams has told you, you have nothing to worry about if you're paying attention. But he's a liar. But he's not a liar. You have, that's like He told me I didn't have anything to worry about on an island full of dinosaurs. That's also not true. Yeah, not true at all. The um, But that, that second half of the film, it switches when everybody shows up and it's like that very Baroque piece of music where they're like, ha-ha, it's the wealthy... The wealthy people coming to the island, ha ha ha, would carefree, and then it switches again into this high adventure piratey kind of music, like Captain Blood style yeah. music, because it's high adventure on the sea where Schneider, Shaw, and Dreyfus are like learning to be men on the sea, and mm-hmm. you know some of them are this and great and not great and whatever else. So anyway, and you I'm, know what I say. If it's not Baroque, don't, don't fix it. Fix it. <laughs> anyway, I could keep talking about Jaws forever, so stop me. You're making my you're making my job easier. I mean, I have more fun facts if you want more fun mm. facts. I mean, just... All right, so Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss could not stand each other, and the two argued all the time, which resulted in some good tension between Hooper and Quint. Yes, that is very true. That's because Robert Shaw demanded... He didn't stay on the island. Right. He demanded to be... He flew off every day... And was picked up at four in the morning the next day with a full bottle of Jack every morning. Where did he? That was part of his contract. He stayed on the Cape. He stayed on the Cape? He stayed on the Cape. He refused to stay on Martha's Vineyard. And he had a full bottle. I think it was Jack. Pretty sure it was Jack. You don't want the island sinking. No. That's Um, physics. Pretty much people have said like when he wasn't drunk, he was great. He was nice as could be. Yeah. When he was drunk, he was... He was a mean-ass he, drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Not shocking. 
No. Director Steven Spielberg said when he first read the novel, he found himself rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable. That is very true. That is, because... Um, Brody has an affair right. with... Um, uh, no. 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 Uh, 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 Richard Dreyfus has an affair with, Richard, with, with, with Brody's wife. With Brody's wife. He's there for like an hour. He's like, I'm here to help you with your shark. Also, I'm going to have an affair with your wife. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. An accident. Hooper. Hooper. Talk yeah. about Hooper. An accident during filming caused the orca to begin sinking. Director Steven was Spielberg. Was it hit by a shark? Huh? Was it hit by a shark? It was. Director Steven Spielberg began screaming over a bullhorn for the nearby safety boats to rescue the actors. John R. Carter, already up to his knees on water on the sinking orca, held his Nagra tape recorder up over his head and screamed, F the actors, save the sound department. <laughs> During the accident, the film camera was submerged, so its film, still submerged in seawater, was assumed to be ruined. However, once it was realized that developing solution is saline, the film was flown to New York Film Lab, and te- technicians didn't lose any of it. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah. Hmm. Filming on water is tricky business. You want to talk about continuity? Every time... Like, because the, the, you have to match the wave. Because, of, yeah, there's waves. You have to match the wave with the shot. So if somebody's talking, and then you do, like, the opposite shot of, like, an over-the-shoulder someone talking, the wave has to match when the person says the line. Otherwise, it's too up and down. Yeah. It's you know crazy. You know how you fix that? It's CG. Several thousand cameras. Several. And you only, and you essentially just have to cut one take. It's, yeah, they don't think they hand several thousand cameras, but I understand your point. Right. Yes. Yeah. Do you have more fun facts? No, three per movie. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was three. I can't remember. I was too excited to talk about Jaws. I just threw up a little bit from excitement. <laughs> just so excited. Anyway. Anyway. One last flew, movie. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yep. It's full of cuckoos. Did you know that? But none of them fly. This movie lied to me. Um, that's not necessarily true, actually. Because the 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 cuckoo's nest is the insane asylum. Is, is the asylum, and no one flies over it. Yet Chief does. He he flies the coop. That's he one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like they, he flew the coop. No, he's supposed to fly over it. Yeah, he's very tall. He just kind of steps over it. <laughs> he step. Yes, that's good. He's just like I'm so tall. I just stepped over the entire asylum. Hi, Chief. Hello, Homer. Hey. Oh, uh, you know what? I was thinking of um, the Family Guy episode. I was thinking, no, not the Family Guy episode. I was thinking of the Simpsons episode with um, the guy who thinks that he's Michael Jackson, voiced by that's Michael the same Jackson. One. That's the same one. Yeah. Okay. I I don't remember there being a I don't remember there being a chief. Yeah, they're like, and this this guy's named Chief. He never talks, and he Homer just goes up to him, "Hi, Chief. Hi, Homer." Everyone like looks shocked. He's like, "No one's tried talking to me." That's fit. That's hilarious joke. That's great. Anyway, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, directed by Milos Forman, written by Bo Goldman and Lawrence Haben, based on the novel by Ken Casey. And uh, the play version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Dale Dale Wasserman, starring Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher, Will Sampson, Michael Berryman, Scatman Crothers, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, 
Sydney LASIK. As I said on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, my entire review of this film is just going to be, that was Danny DeVito. That was Danny DeVito. Yes. I know, but literally, I give him all the awards. <laughs> totally, just because I didn't know. Winner of Best Picture, um, Best Actor for Jack Nicholson, Best Actress for Louise Fletcher, Best Director for Miles Foreman, Best Adapted Writing for Lawrence Haben and Bo Goldman, nominated for Supporting Actor for Brad Dorif, Cinematography, um, for Haxel West, uh, Haxel Wessler, who um, did uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. in The Heat of the Night, you know, two of our favorites. Well, oh, one, oh, anyway, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, anyway. And nominated for Best Film Editing and Original and original Music. Brad Dorf uh, is the voice of Chucky in Child's Play. Really? Yep. Really? Yeah. That's not two things that I thought would go together, but there we have it. Yep. Really? Anyway, he plays Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. He does. He's very good at it. Yeah. Watch news. Anyway, One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest is about Jack Nicholson's Nicholson's, uh, R.P. McMurphy, who pleads guilty to being insane or like pretends to be crazy because he thinks that the asylum will be easier than prison and so he can just skate his way through the asylum and then leave and things don't turn out exactly as he suspected they would no because he finds out that he really because is he's crazy. no because he gets sent to the asylum basically he can't be let out until he's cured quote unquote until they feel he's cured it doesn't matter what his prison sentence was. That's correct, which he did not know before he decided to try this master plan of his. But he has, one would say he has anger issues, and that is why he is in prison in the first place. And mayhaps those come to manifest themselves later. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack this from a different angle. Are you going to attack the film or are you going to praise it? Mm, I come here to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Ooh, interesting. I thought so. Hot take. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet is not the bad guy in this movie. You know, I thought the same thing because I, I've seen bits of this movie. Yeah. But and so I've like I've seen the whole thing. I know how it ends. Blah blah blah. But I've never seen it from start to finish. It ends well. I love that it starts with like the like. No, no, open. it doesn't really end well. No, I, I mean, start, <laughs> I think it um, starts well, like this open, like, plain world where you're right. like, oh, the wide world is open in front of you. And then they spend the whole movie in an asylum. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, that alone, you could be like, I see why you won Best Picture. Because somebody, because <laughs> everybody in the audience went, oh, man, that was so clever. Anyway, uh, the she's literally just doing her job. Right. Like. And she's pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. Like, she's fairly compassionate, but she's stern. She doesn't take any crap from anybody. For years, Nurse Ratchet is, like, built in the culture of the zeitgeist as, like, this evil woman. Right. Like, um, what's the high anxiety? What's her her name? Nurse Ratchet, right? In the no, that's that's what her name is in One Flew of the Cougars. No, what's her name in High Anxiety, then? I don't know. I honestly don't remember high anxiety. Cloris Leachman plays her. Um, I'll look it up. But anyway, 
but yeah, she's like just doing. She's she's just doing her job, right? She's literally just doing she, her job. She's running the ward. She does at times. She does at times be a bad person. Yes, he but he that's not until World Nicholson Series. gets there and kind of pushes back on her for no real reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's right. like, you know, uh, and it, he makes some good arguments like, does the music have to be played that loudly? No, it doesn't have to be played that loudly. That's insane. No, I mean, yeah, he makes some good points, but like, he's. He, Nurse Diesel, that's her name. Mm-hmm. Nurse Diesel in High Anxiety. Um, Ratchet Diesel, that's funny. She, he comes and he's like, well, in prison I could watch the World Series because like, we're led to believe that he's a sane man. Mm-hmm. But he's not. He's not a well man. I wouldn't call him insane. He's just not a well man. I think she also knows he's not insane. And she's kind of... She's she, she works on order because that's what's needed for for what could be chaos, right? Which literally becomes chaos, right? So they prove her right. He proves her right for not deviating from the schedule, from the system, right? From this, so like she's not the bad guy. No, she isn't. No. She's at times bad. She can. She's a little. Harsher, maybe than she should be. Sometimes, well, like it, so towards towards the end of the movie, where she comes in after they've been partying, mm-hmm. and she finds she finds the guy with the girl. Yep, and she's like, "I'm gonna tell your mother." This guy is legitimately crazy, mm-hmm. and she knows that. Yeah, but I, and then like he's like like he's trying to plead with her. Please don't tell you. You're not going to tell you. You're not going to tell her. She should kind of know, like, what his mentality is kind of capable of. Yeah. And then he goes and kills himself because he doesn't want to be faced with his disapproving mother. Yep. And I that's that's the bit that probably people would point to to say, like, no, she messed up right here. But. But if they just did what she said in the first place. None of that would happen. Like, yes, she should know better than to like, than to like to not back off. Like, she should back off right from that. But order and sternness worked before, so she has reason to believe that order and sternness will like right help right the situation. So maybe arguably, she maybe she's not the bad guy, but maybe she's not as great at her job as she thinks she is. Yeah, in that way, but. I also think she resents Jack Nicholson's character because she knows he's not crazy. I yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, he's kind of acting crazy, and it's kind of, by by giving credence to him acting crazy, she's kind of demeaning the people who actually have that disease. Yes, yes, I agree, but not that he needs to be there. But he he does bring a lot of his own torment on himself. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to feel bad for him 
when he's literally doing it to himself. Right. In- including his anger issues, which right. is really why they choose to keep him there. Because he should be in a more safe environment than one where he's allowed to kind of do whatever. But here's the thing, is if he just... So he acted insane to get there. If he just acts normal, he's out soon. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, I mean, normal for McMurphy. Because he, to him, I think, does act kind of normal. Yeah. He is acting pretty normal. And... They don't know the difference between his normal and what his quote unquote crazy right. would be to use, you know, the timely terminology of the seventies. I um you don't really use crazy anymore. I do like so the first five minutes that we see McMurphy when he comes in mm-hmm. and he's jumping all around and he's do, like he does the Indian war dance. I'm sitting there and I'm like like, all right, so Tim Burton only watched five minutes of this movie and was like, there's the Joker. Uh, it's a mixture between this and The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, like... it's actually this, The Shining, in Chinatown because there's that gangster aspect in Chinatown. Right. But, like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, like, this is the Joker, only lighter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I was, because, I mean, I watch Jack Nicholson and I always think of the Joker. Right. right. I think of Jack Torrance and I think of, you know, the Joker. But. This is the mid seventies, like to eighty, is when Jack Nicholson was in peak, f- like physical fitness to be the Joker. Yeah, too. And I'm like, almost like, oh, oh, only they had it. made Batman in the Ten late seventies. Yeah, because like then he really would have looked it. Yeah, he's like he's like a kind of a pudgy Joker. Yeah, but he's so good at it, you forgive him, like for like not exactly being physically yeah. like fit, but. But mid seventies to eighty, that's primo Jack Nicholson skinny Joker season, Mm -hmm. and I just sometimes things are just missed opportunities. Yeah, you're just so close, so close. I I think is one flew over the cuckoo's nest deserves its accolades. Mm -hmm. I think it. I I it is not a film. I think that you can pass off today. I think it it shows signs of its age because of the strides we've made in mental health since the 70s. And I mean, if you were taking it as a product of its time and it is this is what was like in the 70s, it's certainly a much more forgiving film. You can't make a 2019 version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, You can if you set it in the 70s. I mean, you can't set it in 2019. No, I don't think you can. It doesn't work. No. It, 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 It has to work then. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you also get that with, like, say, um, Girl Interrupted, mm-hmm. you know, coming out in the 90s. But, again, it's a movie set in the past. Sure. So well, it's okay. Sometimes movies set in the in their own present, mm-hmm. looking backwards, then have to become period pieces to work. Right. Yeah. Um, you're right. But if you, do this, if you do this in 2019, set in 2019, there's changes that have to be made. Yeah. So, but anyway, so... It was good. I liked it. Uh, Jack Nicholson's really good in it. Uh, Kai Wynn is really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Louise Fletcher. She yeah. was on Deep Space Nine as Kai Wynn, and I refused to... Call her anything but... Yep. And because this movie severely made me distrust Kai Wynn. Sure. Like, she showed up, and like, oh, you're evil, because you're Nurse Ratchet. Well, but yeah, but without even really, like... 
given it to. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's late and I've lost all senses. Yeah. So do your fun facts. I'm we'll, going and then to we'll do our rewindies and call it a day. Second of only three movies, the other two being It Happened One Night in Silence of the Lambs to win every major award. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Director, Screenplay, Adapted, or Original. Mm. Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, and Vincent Chevalier Mm. play the inmates of an asylum. Do you know what else they have in common? No. All three ended up as villains in Tim Burton's Batman films. Nicholson was the Joker. DeVito and Chevalier were the Penguin and the Organ Grinder in Batman Returns. Uh, it was Chevalier that was throwing me off. Yeah. The other two are obvious. But yep. it was che- I was like, yeah. where was he? I recognize him most from Taxi. He played. Oh, yeah. uh, he plays Laka's um, priest in his religion. Yep. Author Ken Casey was so bitter about the f- way the filmmakers were butchering his story that he vowed never to watch the completed film and even sued the movie's producers because it wasn't shown from Chief Bromben's perspective as the novel is. Hmm. Years later, he claimed to be lying in bed flipping through television channels when he settled onto a late-night movie that looked sort of interesting, only to realize after a few minutes that it was this film, and he then changed channels. Uh. You know, I always wonder with people like, I've never watched it. I think you've all secretly, like, you know, I think you've secretly seen it. I've never watched the movies that were based on my stuff. Well, I mean, that's because they're illegal in the United States. No. They're just too much about you. And they that's really too are. too much of a good thing. <laughs> and we can't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Every year I remake my autobiography. Really? Yep. Really? Okay. Well, let's... <laughs> just you're just like the greatest showman. Yep, whatever his name is, P.T. Barnum. I was gonna say Barry Lyndon. <laughs> Not even close. No. All right, let's do the roll windies. Yeah. Best actor goes to Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Best actress goes to Fletcher. Louise Fletcher. Yep, I agree. Supporting actor goes to. Um. <laughs> yep. You Go ahead. You first. Robert Shaw. Yes, thank you. That was actually who I wanted to. His, name, I had, his name's on the thing. I had to look. It wasn't that I was like Robert Shaw. I was going to have to go back and look at the movie names to be like, there was somebody that I'm like, should have won. Yeah. yeah. It's for his USS Indianapolis monologue. That's, I mean, not even that. I just mean, like the, the whole, whole character. Thing, the whole thing. It's yeah. a great character. But his his Indianapolis yeah. monologue is absolutely pretty. It's like Kubrick spellbinding. Like that level, it's, right? I get their names: Roy Schneider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus. They all share S's and R's, so it's kind of hard to remember all of them in a chunk be- together. So I, I, I mean, I you're not that. wrong. Um, supporting actress. It's tricky because there's not tons. No, and we're only allowed to work within the film. Yep. So. Like I give it to Lorraine Gary, who played Chief's wife. Chief's wife, um, Ellen Ellen Brody, because I don't think there really is anybody else. the 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 female characters in Barry Lyndon are almost non-existent, right? And um, I'm not giving anything to Nashville, and and I I can't distinguish enough of Dog Day Afternoon, right? To 
to to give them. So I, I'm basically left with Lorraine Gary, who's very good. Well, she is. I but. am gonna give it to Shelley Duvall. Sorry, just, <laughs> from I just, Nashville. I just had a convulsion that nobody saw. <laughs> because not because of Shelley Duvall, because you gave it to somebody in Nashville. Yep. I gave it to Shelley Duvall in Nashville. Because I know what she's going to have to go through <laughs> in The Shining. I think that. You're going to have to work with Kubrick yep. in about five years, and yep. you're going to regret uh, every. I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it's a great, it's a great film, but I, I'm sorry I what almost, you have to go I through. I almost gave Ryan O'Neill the Best Actor award because I was like, because you were the lead in a Kubrick film. <laughs> Kubrick film. There's a reason he never repeated people. Um, <laughs> cinematography. Uh, uh Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. Yeah. I'm giving it to Jaws for the creativity. Because you've got to give something to Jaws. Yeah. No, I want to give it because it's it's an, it let it leaves an indelible mark the way that Barry Lyndon's doesn't. Okay. It's like that cultural impact thing That's that fine. I love so much. Um Special effects, which we don't really do because it's just you just want me to you just no, want to give as many just, awards just the to copy Jaws. And paste from previous things, and sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. But this one, I don't think we've ever done special effects. Yeah, we did it for twenty. So we do it for the the the, the modern films because usually there's a special effects category in there. All right, fine. So this is probably this is about where the seventies is about where you drop off where the special effects. Okay. Would so be. who are you going to give special effects to? Uh, Barry Lyndon. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's a it's a good. There's a lot of dueling and stuff, yeah. and and they don't actually kill each other. I mean, it's weird. They chop off his leg, and his leg's still there. It's pretty pretty crazy. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure Ryan O'Neill has two legs. I mean, somebody out there, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Jaws technically has great special effects for its time, but the joke is that the shark didn't work, and so <laughs> like you almost. Shouldn't give it to Jaws, uh, right? Steven Spielberg didn't want the film in Blu-ray because he's like, the shark looks too fake. I don't want people to see it that clearly. <laughs> um, he lost that battle. It looks great. Uh, production design, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. Yeah, I agree. Best music. Uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's good. I mean, again, Jaws. It, All right, yeah. yeah, Jaws. I, you know, the thing dun, is, like, dun, I dun, love, dun, dun. I love John Williams so much. Yeah, but it's almost unfair when he's right. like, like whenever John Williams is nominated, we're gonna go to John Williams. Yeah, but not always. Sometimes others he doesn't always win. But no, but he should. Is but but Jaws like Jaws the music of Jaws exists in people's minds even if they've never seen the film. <laughs> I, I really just for a split second there just forgot Jaws existed this year. Yeah, I'm like, like, yeah, no, you know what? I really like the music in, uh, I do really like the music in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Barry Lyndon is also good. Yeah, Jaws. Barry Lyndon, yeah. Again, if if Jaws wasn't in here, these other ones would have a chance. Yep. Uh, best writing, adapted or original, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This is actually slightly tricky. Yeah. I, Nashville gets thrown out because there was no writing. Right, Dog Day Afternoon's good. Yeah, it did win Best Original. Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, I don't. I'd never read One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest or yeah. Jaws, but I don't think you need to like. Read it, the you don't think material. it has to be close to the source material? No, I think it has to make a good movie based on the source. Ba- like 
it has to make a good movie, whether it's based on source material or not. I don't because if if you were judging the accuracy uh, right. of Peter Benchley's novel, Jaws is a complete failure. Yeah, but so is Jurassic Park because the Michael Crichton book is wildly different from yeah. the film. Yeah, it's actually dinosaurs that run a park of humans. That is correct. Yeah, yeah it was a weird twist. I think I would have to go with One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. That is also my choice. Yeah. It's it it's it's like weirdly subtle. It's a better story. Um I think it's I think it's a I think it's more of a I think it's a riskier story. Yeah. I think the Jaws stuff works well because of the actors. I think, y- yes. I mean, not that the dialogue in, in Jaws is bad by any stretch of the imagination. No. But, but I think the, but the, the, but, the script of Cuckoo's Nest stands on its own to which Jaws works within the movie. Exactly. Like like you said, um, Quint's monologue. monologue of the Indianapolis. Yeah. It's great because Robert Shaw's delivery. Sure. I mean, granted, but I mean, like, anybody can mess up a bunch of words on a page. But they work in tandem. I think you could read the cuckoo. You could read Cuckoo's Nest. Right. And enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Jaws, you have to see. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, which leaves us to Best Picture. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. You know, I was going to do it, and then I talked myself into Jaws. Actually, you lied to me. I know you said it wasn't going to be Jaws because Cuckoo's Nest was the last film that I watched for the scroll around. And right. I was like, by God, what a great movie! But then talking about Jaws and like, to be fair, I think Cuckoo's Nest is a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's better than Jaws. It's a seventies movie. Let's be let's be honest. It's here. true. It is. I again the 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 sum of all its parts together there's more nuances there's more nuances in cuckoo's nest but i think jaws works better across the board the like say like i couldn't tell you what the music i couldn't tell you what the music is in cuckoo's nest the production design oh, is Oh, but it's fun. so good. Production- Structurally, it does this and it does that. The production design is fine. It's not spectacular the cinematography is good but not great you know it's like so it's like it's got good pieces and they all work together but i think jaws are just they're just slightly better though i think the story of of cuckoo's nest is better than Mm -hmm. jaws right but i think the parts all working together makes jaws a better film slash cultural impact and stuff but i was going to give it to cuckoo's nest originally sure you were i was mm-hmm. i texted you that i said spoiler jaws no, you is didn't. not my favorite you just said we when we were out thursday yeah i said jaws is not my jaws right. is and not i was like no one. you're lying and i turned out to be right well i mean at the time that i told you that i was telling you the truth see i don't but believe you but you let me talk about jaws too long and i i talked myself into it <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that hard to talk myself into it. Oh, Jaws was a movie. That's right. It's going to be Jaws. It's going to be Jaws. So anyway, that is the 1976. I almost forgot what year it was. Um, Not this year. I know it's 2019, but I almost forgot what year we were were in, which means coming up, we're going into 1965. Six. Six. Oh, man. I almost looked at the wrong movie. Man. 
Hey, we recorded a whole episode before yes, this. Yes, a half hour episode. We recorded over two hour episode before this. We're going to do it in a half hour. You have you. never once listened to any of our episodes, it have never, you? Neither have you, so I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. I really don't know what you're... You never listen. I have to listen. Anyway, we're going into uh, 1966, so we've got Ship of Fools, Darling, A Thousand Clowns, Dr. Zhivago, and The Sound of Music. You've never seen The Sound of Music, right? Was that you? Or no, Music Man, you've never seen. I've never seen Music Man. Okay. I've seen Sound of Music. Okay, great. Yeah. Have I seen it? Com- I don't think I've seen it from start to finish. The only time I've seen it from start to finish was the... Um, the beginning is a very good place to start. Well, no. The the only time I've seen it start to finish was the live musical from a couple of years ago. Oh, sure. But I've seen, I've seen it all in parts, and I've seen it from like... A third, um, like a quarter of the way through, all the way through. Gotcha. Because uh, it was on randomly one night. You skirted right through my Sound of Music lyric joke. I know. And that is going to be the whole next episode because I freaking love the Sound Doe, of Music. A deer, a female deer. Anyway, so da, if, if you tell us what your favorite go. things are, it's good, good. do that for the whole thing, please. Not right now. I want to go home. <laughs> you are home. I'm the one who has to drive. I want you to go home so I can go to and bed. And I need dinner. Show me the way to go, go home. home. I'm <laughs> tired and I want to go to bed. Anyway, you can find us at Academy Rewind on Twitter and Gmail. This has been Punch Drunk Glove with Academy <laughs> Rewind. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all. But not on this episode. <laughs> No, this one's fine, too. <laughs> but you can find <laughs> us all of the places that podcasts can be found in ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to check out all of the ThoughtBubble Audio shows. Good Lord, we have more of them. <laughs> There's new ones every day. So anyway, <laughs> pretty much, actually, we have enough shows. Uh, and thank goodness they're not all by us, but some of them are. Until, But anyway, until next time, because they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank. Too bad. Bye. Bye.